digital stuff is uh, interesting because I was on it very early, you know, when I was on faculty at South Dakota State. And uh, I was the department webmaster for a long time. And cool. And uh, I brought I brought the I brought um, the web into my classes before anybody else did. And back back in the late 90s, kids were just adamantly did not want to have to use computers because back then it meant they usually had to go to the library and use a computer. And, <laughs> and by the time I retired, it was not, you know, do I have the entire lecture you know, up yeah. online and PowerPoint. And is there a, is there a video of old lectures <laughs> and where are the notes? Yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was, forget it, you know? So it was, it was, uh, it was something by the time you're done, that's the, you know, they not only that, they'd want to be able to zoom chat you, you know, at your office or whatever. So, yeah, but, so I've been retired for about 10 years. So I've, I've stayed away from most of that stuff for a while. So, so what was your background then? What did you, what, what was your area of uh, expertise or research? Uh, well, you know, I started out, uh, I got out of the Navy and, uh, I got the bug about wanting to be a forest biologist. You know, everybody was kind of doing nature boy back then and, uh, not to be sound derogatory about it because it's important, but so I went to, uh, got out of the Navy. I went to a small community college, found out I could actually do science and math, whereas yeah. before everyone and said oh no you can't do that you know? <laughs> well what guess what and uh and i really loved uh fell in love with being back in the forest because my dad had moved to, back up state new york from a career in the military and i just dug it and uh, i went to forestry school at syracuse and uh with a degree in forest biology and my specialty was in actually tree diseases and forest pathology and i just loved it it was yeah and uh, and then I, you know, we sat down a lecture one day when we first got there and I said, you guys, if you're not here eventually to get a Ph.D., then don't bother with this. Go get a job somewhere else. <laughs> OK, well, I'll go get the Ph.D., I guess. So I went up to Vermont and I got really into uh, into doing genetics with the pathogens that cause diseases on forest trees. And I did a big study on populations and genes that control reproductive isolation all that you know and probably five wow. people in whole, probably five people in the whole world have ever read my work you know so <laughs> but anyway then i went on, you know then i went on the academic trail and uh i did postdocs at nebraska and berkeley uh mostly in my field and then i uh, just snagged this job at south dakota state but i sort of changed where i was working in agriculture instead so it was pathology but on on crops you know like okay. corn and soybeans yeah so i did that for Years and years, I did research on uh, on the diseases, and I also did uh, the teaching and all that business. And you know, after twenty four, twenty five years, I had enough and retired. So. Well, I mean, that's it's funny because there's a lot of intersect um, that we have because I work with academics. My day job is working on university campus with pathologists, but I mean, more on the it's on the animal side, so it's uh, a sure, yeah, 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 sure, um, yeah. And like you said, you know, you said five people may have read your work. That's the life of an academic, though, right? I yeah, mean, that's it just, sure is. <laughs> What's different? I've got five people to listen to my stuff on Spotify so far. So. Well, I'm, I'm batting a thousand there. Well, so. I'm one of them. So, um, right. let's talk about then. So, growing up, obviously before then, now, you, so you said your dad was military. What kind of music were you exposed to as a kid? Like, what was music like in your house growing up? Well, uh, you know, my dad was not very musically inclined. In fact, he was pretty dismissive of music. And some of that was political and, you know, his stiff military bearing and all that. My mom, I found out, liked music well enough, but she was 
never sang much. She actually played piano. Uh, but, uh, you know, we were moving so much as kids in the military to different bases that music wasn't a big part of our life, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, early on. Although every I got pictures of me as a kid in every house we go to, there's a piano. I'm banging on the piano, you know, so you would think <laughs> mom and dad was said, hey, maybe let's see if he wants to do piano lessons. But that never happened. So anyway, uh, you know, we were we were in Germany. And uh, for four years. And this is when I'm about, you know, coming up on 11 and 12. And my brothers had records, you know, all the doo-wop stuff. Yeah. You know, from 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 the late 50s and everything. And the Beach Boy records. You know, we, we were in, in about 1962. We were listening to the Beach Boys and all the doo-wop stuff. And, uh, and I started getting interested in music. I remember wanting a guitar, looking at the Sears catalog. You know, you're overseas. There's no way to do that you know and of course the parents like you don't want a guitar you know so, <laughs> that kind of thing and uh and so you know i really was digging the music i uh, it was really getting to me i you know beach boy stuff and and all this other music and you know just the just the just the fact that there were these recordings you know that they just were so beautiful you know the way the music would fill up spaces and uh, have have the cool little textures to them and everything and then, uh, you know, it's about 1963, and guess what? The Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. And, you know, I, I tell people it's like a quantum change. It was like an atom bomb going off. If yeah. you weren't there, you have no idea what an atom bomb it was going off. And I still remember, you know, we were, I was out with Boy Scouts or something. I'm out with my Scoutmaster, and we stopped at the base exchange, and I got a hold of a copy of I Want to Hold Your Hand. I saw her standing there on the back side. It's probably that single is probably worth some money now. I don't know, but and you I mean, still have it. Oh no, I don't have any okay. of that stuff. <laughs> uh, I had I had something even more valuable. Probably, I had a forty-five of them backing Tony Sheridan on my Bonnie and the Saints go marching in. No way. Yeah, last I saw that was listed about a thousand bucks, but I don't know where that went. You know, I lost several <laughs> collections along the way. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so no, that just blew up. And then and at that point, and everything was about music from that point on for for most people. And then we came back to the States and, uh, you know, again, you get ripped away from where you are. And uh, then it was, uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, being a teen and a, a young teen in a new school and you're trying to keep up with all the James Bond spy stuff in the movies, and, <laughs> you know, puberty's hitting and all that. So, uh, but so... Uh, that was kind of languished for a while, but then I have to say, as far as influences, uh, we're in Florida at McGill Air Force Base, and I'm at the pool one afternoon, and I know the date has to be like August, sometime in August 75, and okay. uh, the Birds' Mr. Tambourine Man comes on over the radio, and I hear that 12-string, <laughs> and I, I haven't been the same since, since I heard that 12-string on McGuinn's. And from then on, man, I was I was a birds fanatic. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. And you know, there's so much music to keep track of back then. And you know, you listen to what was on the radio and you started getting a few albums. It wasn't like today where you know you can go online and listen to anybody you want. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of blase almost now. Back then it was like People say, well, why didn't you listen to those guys back then? I said, well, I didn't have the money to buy the records. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah. Afford it. Why weren't you listening to all the Grateful Dead albums? Well, couldn't <laughs> buy them all, man. You know, it was like, 
So, you know, and so then I started to build my little collection of records with the birds and some other people. And then we went to uh, Okinawa and there was a nascent music scene there, believe it or not. Yeah. Because Okinawa back then was basically one big military base. And, uh, and uh, there were lots of teen clubs and there were bands, you know, guys were starting to make bands. Right. Couldn't get away with growing their hair very long, but they were playing that devil music and everything. And uh, so, you know, I started hanging around with the guys that did that. And I'd start going to the band practices and I started trying a little bit on drums and guitar and stuff. You know, I, I think I learned the chords to Gloria. Okay. You know, that yeah. Song. Yeah. And that Van Morrison song. And uh, so uh, then we got moved again down to Taiwan in Taipei. And again, that was a scene where you had all these diplomatic dependents and military dependents and our parents were so busy doing their job that they didn't know what we were doing. And we just got away with murder, just <laughs> living the life. And, uh, and, uh, I bought, uh, I bought a set of drums from a guy who lived, um, behind our house in another house. His dad was a Colonel in the airborne or something. I think. And his name was Jeff Newland. He just recently passed. I got to go out to California and see him a, a few weeks before he died. So that was, that was, uh, I'm glad I did that. Anyway, I bought the drums from Jeff for about like 40, 50 bucks. <laughs> Terrible set of drums. I mean, you couldn't keep them together. The hardware. <laughs> but I was pounding away on them, you know, learning to keep a beat and everything. And uh, I don't think I'd played in any bands yet. Maybe there were a couple of times we sit around and try to jam and things like that. Everybody knew about three chords, you know? Yeah. You're lucky if a guy had an amplifier. There were no PAs. There was no mixers. You know, you put your mic, you put your vocals through a guitar amp, and there were these cheap knockoff Japanese Chinese amps. You know, and they'd, sometimes they'd blow up and catch fire, and you know that sort of thing. And you, you know, you'd have to find somebody's house you could have uh, practice at. And uh, but then that summer, uh, I had to go to summer school because I'd flunked geometry with uh, Mr. Do and uh, our, our geometry teacher. This cannot be difficult. That was his famous thing. <laughs> and my friend Dan Ferguson, who uh, uh, lives in New York, uh, and he's actually a, a professor of ethnomusicology and a very talented musician. Okay. And we're going to go see Peter Gabriel at the end of September in Chicago together. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah uh, not jealous at all. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, no, no. So, and, uh, but um, so he and I were in this class sitting in the back. We were doodling or something. So I like the birds, you know, because I don't know, I was doodling out the logo or something. Yeah. So we have, he's still, he is such a pack rat. He's still got the notes we exchanged back and forth about, you know, hey, do you like this music? I like that music. Hey, you want to start a band? Wow. So next thing you know, Danny and I had, uh, and a guy named Gary uh, got on bass and we started uh, learning some songs and playing together. And it was pretty audacious because we were doing Cream and Hendrix, you know, nobody, <laughs> nobody else was trying that stuff. And here we are doing that stuff. And we rocked it pretty good. You know, I, I couldn't be Jim Baker, but I could keep a pretty good beat and I could thunder here and there. And I remember we opened up the high school gym with Crossroads, you know, and we just blew wow. the away. Yeah, yeah. And we, uh, we did that for three or four months because uh, we were, uh, it was about six months later, we all got shipped back to the States. and. Uh, and but that was a great time. We still talk about that. People from back then are still talking to each other online and everything. So, uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun that a lot of them are still around. And uh, 
still talk to each other. And that's thanks to, you know, the internet and all yep. that stuff. You know, so uh, that's how we all found each other. And, uh, you know, so that was a good time. But then I came back to the States and uh, I got shipped to military school and uh, then in the Navy. And then I w- went on the academic trail. So the music kind of took a back seat. And I think I my drums wandered off somewhere. And I'm, I had a guitar and I taught myself to play some chords and, and finger pick and stuff like that. And it was always sort of on the side, you know. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't my highest priority, but I found out I was starting to write songs and stuff. So, uh, um, and that just sort of kept bubbling under the surface and wouldn't go away, go away for years and years. There were times where I didn't even own a guitar, you know, like I was using my wow. first wife's guitar for a while. And, and I didn't really, I never took lessons and I didn't really practice the way a musician's supposed to. I'd probably, you know, figure out the pentatonic scale myself and yeah you know and sit there doodling around with chords and stuff like that as and i'm still terrible that way as far as guitar player i never take lessons and i i i uh, I just do what i can but uh but it kept there and i do little things like you know playing with a church choir and uh and writing a song for the new department head that kind of thing so like chris gerald's and then and so we went through, and then as time went on, and I was getting more on my own after a second marriage, I uh, started, I went to a couple jams and things like that, and I felt pretty good about, you know, my guitar playing was getting better, and I, and I got over my thought that I couldn't sing, you know. Okay. That was, that was, that was a huge leap, because all that time I was playing guitar, I, I'd heard my voice a couple of times and I wanted to, you know, just crawl under the table. So, <laughs> you know, cause that's how most people react to their voice at first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Until you get used to hearing it. And I think the big, the big pivot for me was I started making myself learn complete songs, you know? Yeah. I think, uh, I think the first song I learned all the way through was, uh, was that Carol King song. You've got a friend. Oh yeah. 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 That I really nailed down pretty well. And I still do that at shows. And then, uh, you know, I retired and, uh, I don't know. I, I started going to open mic and I found out I could sing pretty well and, and I was playing okay, better than most people. And then I started opening for open mic. Okay. Next thing you know, I was hanging out my shingle to get hired. And now it's been five or six years. I've been just playing gigs and and recording my album and all that sort of stuff. It's funny you say, when when you say that too, because it's like I'm a and I'm only a hobbyist, but I I sing and I I write and everything. And sure. I think that first thing about when you realize if you go to an open mic or even you know in the modern age you go to karaoke or play yeah, a rock yeah. band or something, when you realize that oh actually I'm a little bit I'm as good as at least everyone in yes. this room. So yes. maybe I'm not as bad as I I built yeah, up yeah, yeah. for all those There's, years, right? You have to you have to you really really have to do that and. And I'll tell I'll tell people now that uh, I may not be the best guitarist in the world or best singer, but there are certain things about my voice listeners like, yeah, uh, and uh, they like the way I put on a show. So to me, it's all about putting on that show and then laying down the real music on the on the recording, you know. And and yeah. you get over that hump of you get over that hump of thinking, well, I'm never going to be Eric Clapton. Well, yeah, right. I'm never going to be yeah. Eric Clapton. So what? I don't need to be Eric Clapton. You know, I just have to be able to 
play what I need to play. And there are so, those guys with Clapton thought, well, I'm never going to be Buddy Guy or I'm never going to be. Yeah, 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 just, yeah. Everyone's got yeah. him, right? So Right, exactly. And so you just get over that. And what I found out was I can write pretty good songs, I think. And uh, and uh, my voice has its own, you know, quality in there with the James Taylors and Gordon Lightfoot type baritones. Yep. And that's okay, man. So that's all right. <laughs> so I'm in. I'm just enjoying it now, you know, right, right now I just keep working on polishing my songs. And so when I, when I do play, they're really good and, uh, and coming up with new material and, yeah. uh, and especially now, uh, with the technology, I've got this looper that, that I can do backing tracks on so I can walk in and, you know, I'll, I'll walk into a place and they don't know what they're going to hear. And I've got the looper all dialed up and I, yeah. I, I open up with, uh, uh, you don't know how it feels. Then I hit them with, I won't back down. <laughs> and then I kill them with, you wreck me. <laughs> you know, sometimes with a 12, sometimes with electric, with yeah. a harp and everything and loud with drums and everything. And, you know, that, that has, that's a pretty nice intro to do that, you know? So, so you've definitely, you're definitely one of those people who I would say has music in your bones. And Absolutely. That's that it's like you said, when you, I think one of the things when you do teach yourself to play and to sing and to compose and those kind of things rather than you know any sort of prescriptive lessons it gives your it gives your voice a very unique um angle right so you don't sound like anyone else really i mean i yeah, hear I, I hear shades of other people in your playing like john yeah. Parner, i hear a lot in that picking style but it's not exactly yeah. the same it's definitely right. you right so and i think that that's yeah. important i know, would so. absolutely say that i don't fit into any genre other than you know broadly singer songwriter because yeah. And my stuff is pretty diverse. You know, I'll have a thing that sounds like a real gutsy blues here and there, and then I'm doing delicate, like Baroque sounding things. So you never, then I'll have something that sounds like at some blues club in Chicago at 12, three in the morning somewhere, you know, so you just can't tell, you know, so, uh, and yeah, I, I think I, I'm, I'm happy with not necessarily sounding like all these red dirt guys that are out there, you know, yeah. uh, I'm not slamming red dirt because it's just really great music, but that ain't me, you know. So yeah, and it I'm shouldn't, not a cow- it shouldn't be. Yeah, I'm not a cowboy, you know. And I'm, yeah. you know, I may put on a draw for a song, but you know, I'm not from Texas, and I'm, <laughs> I look kind of dumb in a cowboy hat, you know. What I mean? so, not many people so, look good in a cowboy hat. Just, nah, just don't tell them that. <laughs> yeah, you got to pre, you got to have the right look to, to, to look good in a cowboy hat. So. When you're talking about diversity in your music too, and that's something I was going to touch on because the last single that you put out, uh, it was the summertime. That's yeah. almost got that kind of Bill Withers thing where it's a lot of suspended chords. It's this almost yeah pro Latin beat to it. It's kind of a, yeah, it's got a completely yeah, yeah. different vibe to anything that was on your first album. So where did that yes. song come from? Uh, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I was looking at TikTok videos or something, and... Uh, this guy's saying, well, these are five jazz chords in a progression that you have to know. <laughs> I'm looking at him like, well, yeah, but it doesn't sound like much. But I like that chord, and I like that chord, yeah. and I like that chord. So I don't even know what the chord is. It's like a D minor ninth, uh, and then there's a G sixth or something, and uh, it resolves to a C major seventh for the verse part of that thing. You know, And that just repeats. I that's a tendency I have in some songs to repeat that chord progression, build up some tension and then release it with a, yeah. with a, with a thing. And, uh, and so again, my process 
I love that bit in uh, in uh, the Beatles movie where Ed Sheeran's making fun of himself, talking about process. You know, yeah. what's yeah. your process? You know, <laughs> you know he's making fun of of the whole idea. And uh, so my process is I sit in the kitchen, drink coffee, and I <laughs> wing around with chords. And sooner or later, something pops in. A chord progression pops in. A snatch of melody pops in, and words pop in, just like that. Yeah. That's when the that's like John Prine says that the, the song truck pulled up in front of the house and dumped something, you know, so I, yeah. I can, and I've learned now when that happens, I have to just shut down everything else and focus on that, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I've got like 12,000 videos of my little bits on my phone, you know, a library of, of, uh, little bits that I can go back and look at. So yeah. anyway, um, now, at the same time, I don't know how the first words came to that, but I know a couple that were here in Brookings. Uh, he worked down at the brewery, this guy. And okay. His girl, and his girlfriend worked at the brewery, too. Okay. Lovely young couple. And I watched them fall in love, start dating. Oh, that's amazing. Get married. And they moved to the cities. He's still working as a brewer. I don't know what she's doing. I think she's a stay-at-home mom, and she's got two of the loveliest little kids and you know that story just came out i mean i don't know how it did it so i was just sitting there and i said well she's you know she took a little flat in the city and the yeah. rest just kind of flowed out you know and that what was I, it what i love about it too though is it's, there's a very clever little trick that i don't know if this was deliberate or that this just came out where you don't realize until that last verse that you're actually being told this from a third person perspective so yes, it's not, yes, so, so, you, so yes. then you bring in the storyteller in the third verse yes, and you say yeah, that I've watched yeah. them. So I thought that was a really nice little trick that you Wait, kind of pulled well, out. Uh, it's in the third verse where I say something like, uh, I can't tell you how the evening ended. You know, because yes. normally you would say, oh, they had this passionate evening, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're describing it, well, they met each other and then they went out and they did whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I'm this guy who's seen this girl move in across, you know, in the apartment across yeah. the street downtown. I've got this little shop. And this is totally made up. This is all just imaginary. And and I said, well, I can't tell you what happened that night, you know, because yeah. I had to go home. So, so yeah, yeah, it was a fun thing to do. And James did such a good job on the, on the, uh, adding the percussion and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Because the way things work with James and my producer James Stefan is, we'll record the basic guitar tracks and and my vocals. Yeah, and then he'll program in the per percussion, and I'll I'll usually play bass. Okay. Uh, all all the all the stuff you've heard that I've recorded, like she's moving on, where we've got a band kind of sound. I'm doing all the guitars and bass, and sometimes he slips in things without telling me. Like this last one I just sent you. Yeah. Said, well, I don't think we'll do bass on that because it'll sound like a uh, it'll sound like a Waylon Jennings song if we put in that thumping country <laughs> bass. Said, That's okay. I I put some stuff in there to give it a little bit more raise. I'm, I'm still have to ask him well, what'd you put in there, you know? And uh, so. So yeah, it works out pretty well like that. You know, I'm I'm really happy with uh, like she's moving on because, you know, we we went in there and we we did the basic uh, rhythm guitar, did the vocals, I put in the bass, and then I said let's you know let me I'll just wail on harmonica on one track and we did that and then I wailed on lead guitar all through the song yeah and then as James is mixing it he picks out the bits which would would fit in so he brings them up and everything so. We've got this kind of contrapuntal, you know, New Orleans style counterpoint going on all through the song with the harmonica and and the guitar. So that's sort of like almost like our process to how we get to do things.
Okay. And so how did yeah, that yeah. how did that relationship start with him then? Because with your first album, um, Fade to Memory, which I have, folks, you should uh, go out and buy that. Go to Tommy's website. Right here. Right there here. You go. <laughs> yeah. That was so. That's obviously mainly just you and an acoustic guitar. Right. But then really that sort of that's going to be the arrangements as you play them live, as you wrote them. But when sure, you start yeah. working with a producer, then you're going to get that, you know, right. the outside consciousness is going to say, okay, well, actually, I bet if you do this or maybe you don't need that. What was that process like? Well, I met James through another guy. I play, we were doing an evening session thing out in a small town every Wednesday. And uh, the guy who runs that owns a bar named Carl Williams. Uh, so you got to meet this guy named James. And I, and I met him because he was looking to produce people and record people and that sort of thing. And in the daytime, he's a banker, but at night, <laughs> he's a record producer, <laughs> a mogul. He wants to be a mogul. Great guy. <laughs> and so we sat down and we, we recorded these uh, all acoustic. The first album is just me playing live and yeah. singing live. There's no overdubs on there, except I think on Phoenix, we came back and put on some overdubs and lead guitar. So all the magic on there is him doing the EQ and some compression and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm really proud of that album because I'm sitting there going like, I can't believe I played and sang all this stuff and didn't, <laughs> you know. And uh, so what happened was we realized that maybe we needed to up the ante a little bit when we continue into the future uh, and have more of a band thing. To, you know, yeah. obviously you want your stuff to get the wider audience and and such so we went back to she's moving on and re-recorded that the way i was uh explaining to you and that's you know it's a i think it's a pretty good song i last gig a woman a young lady came up what was the title of that song she went right to spotify to look it up you know yeah. so i felt good about that and so we did that and uh, uh with the younger one of course uh, i mean with uh it was a summertime we uh we uh that right from scratch we knew we were going to record it like that and so now I almost want to go back and do fade to memory reimagine because I've got all this, you know, that's pretty perfunctory, the guitar playing. And I've got like on uh like on a, a radio on, I want to make that into a band song. Yeah. And and you know, we've been doing sailing down the wind with uh with a looper. It's a real kind of free floating, jazzy sounding thing. Yeah. And I've got new riffs for this house without you. So I there's a there's a bunch on there we could reimagine <laughs> almost with that kind of stuff. So, so is that uh, when you write then, do you sort of have can you hear the full band arrangement as you're playing it on acoustic or does uh, that it, something... it, de it develops after a while? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes the full band arrangement um comes based on the acoustic version. You know, if you go back and listen to guys in there, one of the things I love to do is go back and listen to early demos of yeah. songs that ended up being bands. And usually a guy writing it sometimes has all the riffs there that he's finger picking or doing whatever on the guitar that end up as being the horn section or whatever you know it's just yeah. to give that part over to the horn section or whatever and so this last one uh i just did that i think you listened to it already have you listened to it yes yeah i did yeah uh, okay so when i do that solo i do all those finger picking parts and even that lead part in the middle i've got that that comes from the finger picking part okay but we just decided to go with lead with a lead on that for that part so you know, it's all, uh, you know, usually at some point I'm thinking, what would this sound like with a band, you know? Okay. And, and uh, I need a lead guitar player here. And and like on uh, a lot of my stuff, I'm imagining things like accordions and, hey, yeah, an accordion in there. And, <laughs> you know, when we do Sailing Down the Wind, I've got a clarinet player who plays with me when I play okay. live. If you, if you uh, I don't know if you saw that clip where we played at the Levitt. I don't know if I did. Balls. 
Yeah, it's on it's uh it's on my website okay. right up front there. Yeah, and uh so the Levitt is a series of of music that's presented in in some cities by a foundation. Okay. And they decided to have an open mic uh about a month and a half ago uh to open up before the main guys. And so my friend Dan and I we got down there for the first open mic and we were the first guys to play. And so we did sailing down the wind, but uh he'll he'll uh he does some real nice clarinet work that song really adds to it so i'm i'm honking on the harmonica the main theme and then he comes yeah. in with the clarinet and we're just kind of floating around with that thing real jazz kind of thing. so yeah all that kind of stuff is always working through my mind on a solo song it's very rare that i'm not imagining something else that could be in a song you know and the new song to tell people and i mean by the time this comes out i'm not too, too sure what the release date is for that but the new single is called drive and I really connected with that one too, because I, when I met my wife, I was still in the military. And so the first, sure. I don't know, nine months of our relationship were, sure. or two, two years even were spent long distance. And sure. so that the idea that, you know, I, Very I don't like seeing driving away, it's, it's a hard thing. Right. And there's a couple of spots in it too, that I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Eric Bibb. No. Uh, brilliant. I think you'd enjoy him. Um, there's a few vocal lines that I'm like, Oh, that really sounds like Eric Bibb covering uh, Bob Dylan's buckets of rain. It is a great oh, cover. So there's a couple of yeah, lines. I'm like, cool. you know, when you just hear a lot of inflection. <laughs> yeah, of sure, people. yeah, sure, yeah. Uh, by the way, that song, the the original acoustic demo is on the website. If you okay. go to the videos on the website, you can hear the original. But I hadn't come up with the like the finger picking intro for that yet. So, and that was arrangement. You know, I had that a long time ago, and I really put in a lot of work into every bar of that to try to come with up with the the fills and the finger picking that would be yeah. cool. And it's still places i could still be adding stuff but you, that's the great thing about playing your stuff live is you can do what you want when you play live so songs grow yeah comfort. i mean that's a that's a bob dylan thing you know he never let a song rest they may be his children <laughs> but he's whacking them upside the head all the time you know yeah. to the so, fr- yeah. to the frustration of his fans sometimes you just yeah, where's, yeah, where's yeah. this new verse come from <laughs> yeah yeah and how many people go to a sh- how many people do you know they go to a show and they and like if you go to a Doobie Brothers show, the people are all happy just to see them playing everything note for note, you yeah. know. And I'm like, really? I go to some of these modern concerts where the old bands are playing their stuff perfectly, and I'm like bored. Yeah, I I want to. I, I go yeah, to a show yeah. to hear. I want a performance. Exactly. I'm I'm totally. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, you know, and it's brilliant, you know, that they can do that. But last thing I'd want to do is just play everything exactly, you know, yeah. every time. So. I should say too, yeah, though, so, we're talking to you about arrangements. There is one song on um, Fade to Memory that I don't think you, if you do go back and redo any of these things, I wouldn't want you to touch Empty Chair. Because I think that's my, it's my favorite song on the album. And it's just so beautiful in that stripped back arrangement with just the acoustic guitar that I think if you yeah, added anything yeah, to no, it. That's one it I, no, I, that's one I wouldn't touch. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's funny. My friend Danny heard that when I first put out a little demo of it. It's, well, you've actually matured as a songwriter now. Yeah, and I said, OK, I'll take that. But, you know, that was me just trying to be Nick Lowe. I'm not Nick Lowe, but uh, who's the who's the guy? Uh, Nick Drake. That's me like trying to be a Nick. Really? Drake. Oh, yeah. That's I went through. I was going through a listening to Nick Drake phase. And that was that might have come through about then. Because it's, uh, it's, it's all prime to me because he's got that, that, that you know, that octave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. The finger yeah, picking yeah. style. And then I get Fort Worth Blues by Steve Earle. It's got this, the same yeah, heart wrenching yeah, yeah. sort of. Yeah, that's, to it. it just came out, and uh, you know, it's just about a guy who's who's basically given up on love, you know. Yeah. So yeah, it's not going to take the chance anymore. So uh, yeah, no, and you know, that's funny. Uh, 
that's one I don't really do live very often because okay. usually I'm in a smoky. I'm usually in a bar with people screaming, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's the one that's. I think that's got the second most hits on Spotify. Okay, it's a yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a great song, man. I, mean, I don't know is... if that's because of when it was released, but yeah, no, I I I really like what I did with that song with the descending minor thing and yeah and uh, and all that stuff. Yeah, I I. I don't it doesn't really have a bridge or anything. I don't think, if I remember right, but uh, I, I I like that song. I think it's a de- it's a departure a bit, but I I really like that. So, so let's. When did you start? When did you hear Tom Petty first? Do you remember sort of when Tom Petty pervaded your sort of you know got into your brain and so you started listening to Tom's music? Okay, so here's the problem with me musically and my and <laughs> my my dearth of of listening to so many people is that. Back in the 70s, early 70s, when I was in the Navy, I was, my brain was kidnapped by yes. <laughs> you probably know whereof, <laughs> yeah, you know whereof I speak for years. So anything that wasn't frog rock back then, I was probably turning up my nose at. You yeah. know, while, while all the Red Dirt stuff was coming along ever since the band and Dylan went back there, right? I'm listening to Yes, I'm listening to Genesis, whatever you know gentle giant all those guys and yeah. their clever arrangements and you know key changes tempo shifts and just rocking out you know and i went to see yes two or three times and it was like so i'm going into the 80s i just listen to my old yes albums or whatever the hell else i got around and i'm not yeah. really really listening to that many people i'm busy on my dissertation and all that stuff so someone there probably i heard some tom petty on the radio or something if i was listening to am but i probably I was probably just putting him in the neo-punk category or something, not listening that hard. Yeah. And uh, when I got to South Dakota and I started playing more music, I was slipping back into, you know, a more of a traditional music kind of thing, you know, on my, because of my playing and everything, you know, yeah. I wasn't going to be Steve Howe, obviously, yeah. you know, so who is, but, uh, <laughs> and so then uh, I can't remember if I got the greatest hits album first, but uh, somehow I must have got a hold of Wildflowers, and it just totally wrecked me. Yeah, for so many reasons, and uh, and I'm just so still so enamored of that album in every bit of it, every song, every note. Yeah. And and uh, it, did you know that that won Engineering Grammy for that year? I didn't know that actually. No. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason it got to me was it was the best sounding recording I'd heard in so long. Yeah. I don't know if it was because it was flatter, they kept reverb out or what I said, but all the drums and the bass and everything were so clean. It sounds you know? like it sounds like a band playing music. Yes, yes. It's incredible. And I just, I just, I just uh I just I'm still, you know. People know me for like all these guys named the Hague brothers down in uh, Sioux Falls. The two guys play piano, really got a nice band and all that kind of stuff. And I said, Oh, I ought to sit in and do because they do wildflowers, but it's on pianos. And stuff. Yep. And I said, Oh, I ought to sit in and do that with you tonight. Oh, you just want to sit in and play the whole album with us, is what you want to do. I said, Yeah, I could do that probably. Uh, you know, I've worked out every song on the album at yeah. least to, to go through it. And, uh, and uh, the funniest story about wildflowers, though. Is I was back home in upstate New York. My mom and dad are living up there, retired. And I'm taking my mom somewhere in the car. 
you know, my beat up old Boomin or whatever. And I've yeah. got wildflowers on cassette. And mom, you know, they're big band era, you know, if it doesn't yeah. have you know, all those chord changes and melodies like that, it just sounds like garbage to them. And <laughs> I said, well, you mind if I put this on? Yeah, go ahead. She said, one. And first I was first surprised. She said, yeah, go play some of your music in the car. <laughs> so I, I, we got like three or four songs into wildflowers and, and I'm, I'm turning a corner or something. She says, Oh, you know, I really like that. You know, and I almost wrecked the car, you know, <laughs> what mom likes wildflowers. What the hell? The world has changed. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's funny as hell. Yeah. And then, so, you know, you know, that's, uh, I had to learn every song on there. I could, you know, so yeah. and I, I think, a lot of people will play Tom Petty, uh, but they're, when you go to see cover bands and stuff, they're going to play Mary Jane's Last Dance, uh, yeah. and I don't know what else. But you know, I'll 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 go into a show and I'm playing uh, I'm playing uh, a Time to Move On. What is it? Hard to find a, to find a friend. Find a friend I do yeah. that. Yeah, I do that. Uh, like I said, uh, I'll I'll open up with You Don't Know How It Feels, and uh, and then I do, uh, of course. Um, I won't back down. That's for uh, the other album. And, yeah. uh, and then, uh, and then you wreck me. And, and I just love you wreck me. Just the, the simplicity of it and whatnot. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll play harp parts through there too. You know, if I don't want to play lead guitar, I'll, I'll, I'll cross harp over you wreck me and stuff. Yeah. And I'll play wildflowers. Uh, I, I probably played uh, hard on me. And if I get a crowd that needs it, I'll get the telecaster out and I'll put on both overdrives and i'll get a thump and drum beat and i'll do honeybee yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and so i'll wail on harp on th honeybee and uh i think i've got crawling back to you on the looper to do if i want sometimes and but every song through there i've worked through and i'm i probably listened to this album four zillion times yeah man it yeah. was it was the same thing like when i because i kind of went backwards with petty obviously because i discovered him really you know obviously yeah i i, I, I discovered huge. him late I yeah, discovered him late. If I yeah. wasn't getting him to the early nineties, I, I was dismissive of him, you know, yeah. all through the eighties, it was three minute rockers, you know, and this, he was so ugly. You could hardly look at him at that time. you know. <laughs> and it was these guys all trying to look like a hairband or something. I don't know. Like, what the hell is this? You know? But anyway, uh, you know, I just fell in love with him after that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I became a pretty, a, a, a petty freak. So. And as I think, you know, I think it, part of it too is when you're a songwriter, when you are a musician, you write songs, you understand how good he was at that. Just how, oh, how, how I, almost you're gonna, you're gonna was, ask right? you're gonna ask me three words to describe Tom Petty later, right? <laughs> yeah. So absolutely brilliant songwriter. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's you know so the, the craft behind those songs. Because I'm right now I'm reviewing the songs from Full Moon Fever. And like you said, you can sort of it's easy to dismiss that album as Tom's big shiny, you know, pop record. But yeah. the craft of in behind the songs, the songwriting is still it's just incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does yeah, so much yeah. with so little that guy. Like he, he doesn't yeah. need to. He doesn't need all the bells and whistles. He doesn't need you know your Andersons. He doesn't need he your doesn't Eddie need, he, he doesn't need all those sissy chords that I use. You know? <laughs> Did you hear him talk about that? Yeah, that song had sissy chords, and he's talking about you know major sevenths and things like that. And I'm like, well, I don't know, Tom. I like a lot of those sissy chords. You know, so. who's the, which? Who's the? I can't think of the the, the Dower guy who said you know. One chord's great, two chords is fine. Anything more than that, you're into jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, like, who was it? Uh, uh, Mark Chestnut or somebody like that got in trouble for playing with an orchestra or whatever. You know, all the fans yeah. went crazy because, you know, they started adding arrangements to the songs and whatnot. You know, 
I mean, Garth Brook has a what? He has a he has a G diminished in a song, and that's that freaked out everybody in Nashville, right? That that song, uh, "Friends in Low Places," you know, it goes into a couple diminished courses, a couple play, and those guys in Nashville were like, "What?" You know, so. Well, and then I go to see these. I go to see these guys, you know, in the cowboy hats. Bless their hearts, they got great voices and everything, yeah. but they're playing G C D all yeah. night long, you yeah. know, and and they get good melodies, but they're underneath there's not a lot there they 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 do a lot melodically and thematically with very little chords they, under, they under all, underneath they all sound the same i mean they're, that's they're, always they're my, it's so homogenized that the you know the country nashville really ruined popular music in a way because they did sort of go well let's get this fixed sound and pump as much of it out as we can well, you, and pop you know music took it on work. right so that's that's how it is when you get up that level they're trying yep. to make money they're trying to make stuff that's going to sell so they've got formulas nowadays you get a girl singer who can crank out at least the vocal that you can then auto-tune <laughs> and you got the producers patching in drums and everything maybe they got a studio guy and they yep. got some beat happy thing that's sort of hip-hoppy funky and they i see other girls downtown singing those in the bars when they're getting drunk you know yeah they come down Friday night those kind of songs that got that you know they bring that into the country too you know it's a, it's i'd like i what i want to say and i don't want to sound like i know what i'm talking about because i'm just a <laughs> hick out sticks you know playing you know music in little bars and stuff but uh it really seems like music is producer driven rather than artist driven you yeah. know and it's it, it's driven to make the hit and what i tell people is i don't have to worry about that because you know, I got a retirement and social security. I'm secure yeah. financially and I'm going to play whatever I want. You yeah. Know? So I'm not trying to write country because that's not my genre. I'm not trying to please everybody. So I write what I want. That's just why you said my, there's a lot of diversity in the kind of things I write. You know? yeah. and, and, but that's just how that big music industry looks to me, you know? Yeah, and, for sure. And I don't really, I don't, think i'd really want to be part of that i'm 72 i don't know that i want to go have somebody try to groom me to be a star or anything like that you know it's like i just want to be like old don williams you know and just yeah. show up and play a gig and you know everybody leaves me alone but that's 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 the right reason to do it right i mean the, the reason to do music is because you feel it and you want to get it out i got up there at that montrose festival you know which is a great little festival yeah for everybody and uh you know i I have to warn empaths when I start playing some of my stuff. You know? So I, I played a, a song for you. And I had a woman falling right there in front of me when I played yeah. it. So, yeah. So you, you, uh, you know, you play music for various reasons, but I'm not, I'm doing it to play the music and enjoy doing it. So. And it's, it's the human connection side, right? And that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. that piece where now it's not just a monologue. Now it's a conversation between you and the audience and you're getting feedback from the audience. Of course, that's why you want to do it. And when Tom said, you know, you wrote in a song, like I would have done it for free. And that wasn't him being glib. Of course, musicians yeah. want to get paid and should get paid and don't get paid enough. But right. at the end of the day, if you weren't getting paid, you'd still be doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. Just in your blood. Um, what, yeah. And, and, uh, and I like being able to make that. I like it when somebody comes up, uh, like it. I did a show recently. I did, uh, I did this song contest thing down in, uh, at a winery down South of Sioux Falls. And the, and the prize was to get to open for a music festival. Okay. I didn't win it. There was another group that was pretty good after me. That was a group that was going to be the obvious choice, but, Guy came up and talked to me 
afterwards to say you like the music. So, you know, my wife said, I, I just feel so comfortable with this music. Yeah. You know, so I, I'll get that now and then, or people come up and say, I still connect with that lyric you, you wrote there and that sort yeah. of thing. And that's, you know, uh, I will not be shy about saying that's very gratifying to hear that. To of course, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and especially when, you know, like you said, it, it's different if you're in a band and it's different if you're like, like you said, because I'm a drummer, I'm a little hobbyist drummer and you sit at the back and that's fine. Like, it's great because no one's bothering. No one's really looking at you. They're all oh, looking yeah. at the singer. So as a singer, you need a voice. And that's not just, I'm not just talking about being able to sing the right notes, but having character yes. and being able to emote properly. And that's one thing. And I, I will say this to you, that I absolutely love your voice. It's the same with Steve Earle, John Prine, you know, Jackson Brown, all those guys. The songs are great, but the voice is what really tips it over the edge for me. And I think uh, you've got I, that same quality to your baritone and the way you deliver the songs. I think it really, I've, really I've gotten that back. And here was the big surprise. At once after I got off, got off over uh, hating my own voice or whatever, <laughs> I found out, and you could have never convinced me that if I kept practicing singing, <laughs> that my voice might get better. Yeah. It's funny, hey, because you, you said like, you know, Oh, oh, isn't that strange that when you practice singing, it gets better? It's almost as if it's an instrument that you need to learn how to play. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And that was the part I thought, like all singers, they just have the gift and that's it. But yeah. guess what? You know, uh, Tom Jones is in there, you know, one of my favorite singers of all time. Uh, I'm sure that with that voice of his that he does the exercises to keep that in. Of course he does. You know, yeah. You know, of course so. he does. Yeah. Even Mick Jagger has a vocal coach, and you know that's the yep. sorriest singer I've ever known. That I, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, no, and you know, and it works for me. I do. Uh, people say, "Well, why don't you do this music or that?" I said, "Well, uh, the stuff I cover is Gordon Lightfoot, James Taylor, all those great baritones. I do that kind of stuff. John Prine, uh, I have a great time with John Prine's songs all the time. So yeah. much fun. He's another guy who I discovered really, really late because he was not. It was just wasn't big in England. I don't think it, a single one of his songs was known in England. So when I found this unbelievable songwriter with this great voice, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, wow! And just again, the the way that he would mess around with, with lyrics. He's such a great lyricist. Well, I probably had heard of John Prine because I knew these guys were country fans or whatever. But sometimes my musical knowledge or catalog in my head is from what I happened to accidentally pick up CDs and whatnot somewhere along the line. Thank God for libraries that have CD collections. Yeah. That's how I found Richard Thompson and John Prine. And, and most of the John Prine I do comes off the missing years. Right. Yeah. Cause I got that out of the library and I'm like, Holy gumdrops. I like this <laughs> album. And Howie Epstein produced that. He actually. sure did. Yeah. Yeah. Tom plays and on. And sings on one yeah. of those on tracks. Yeah, he's on, he's on, he's on, he's on harmony in one of those tracks, yeah. singing on those. Yeah, they recorded in a, in a, in a hallway in some house in Topanga Canyon or something. Yeah. I don't know, but that that's one of those albums that, you know, that and Rumor Inside by Richard Thompson. You know, they're ones that I must have got out of the library first and just yeah. fell in love with. And so yeah. It's great. Like, and again, getting into Petty for me was was a big deal because, again, like I knew, I knew I won't back down. I knew Free Fall. And I knew all the sort of the big radio hits. Yeah, yeah. And then I heard when I moved to Canada. Then I heard Refugee a little bit more. And so it's like, okay, sure. well, there's obviously this guy's more than this. So then when you start going back and you think it's album after album after album, just like he was music quality. for the people, man. He was yeah. music for straight ahead rockers. You know, it was it's you know it's just straight ahead rock music. 
and uh it's good writing he's all he's always got good hooks you yeah. know i'm i'm a lot of people are disdainful about hooks but man if, awesome yeah. so where can people find you then tommy tell people where they should look for you and i would urge like my listeners please do go check out tommy's music i know that you'll like it because it's okay right now if you so wanted to if you wanted a cd version of this okay and i know nobody buys cds much anymore if you if you go to my website well i we we it, did that work out for you yeah Sure it must have up. worked out because you listen to it. You can order the CD online at my website, which is uh, www.tommyedwinmusic.com. Okay, and that's got all my usual stuff on there, schedule and all that. And you can also download the tracks to your computer for like a buck each. You know, if you want to yeah. have them on the computer. And then I'm on Spotify and iTunes and YouTube and all those places uh, streaming. So, and everything from Fade to Memory is on there except for Radio On. Because uh, we have a plan for Radio On because of the subject matter and what's coming up. Okay. And uh, also, I think I want to I want to do a thing to it. It's kind of a Dylan esque song, Radio On. Okay. And I think I want to I want to I want to get the drums and bass and guitar on there, so it has that feel of a '60s like uh, um. Uh, maybe like a visions of johanna kind of feel to it oh nice yeah. okay yeah yeah that kind of thing and and also that because that would set the mood for the time era of the song you know yeah and then and uh and i get to do some little vocal for me what are vocal gymnastics on there so um and that's james favorite song on the album so okay we're we're still gonna do something with that about everything else from the first album is on on there and we, of course, we put a band version of She's Moving On there as the track yep. on Spotify. So, And yeah, that's where it's at. And, uh, you know, if, uh, that's my website and that stuff on Spotify to download and all that kind of stuff. What about social media? Where can people find you on Facebook, oh, Twitter, I'm Instagram? Facebook, Twitter. I'm not as good on Instagram as I should be. <laughs> me people are telling me, people are telling me I really should. A woman the other night said, you know, put this new song on Instagram because that's what's going to get you listening right get your listeners i said okay maybe we'll try that and uh and but yeah i'm always uh on twitter or uh, facebook or instagram i think i'm signed on to a couple of the newer sites you know when twitter started imploding so but i, I don't do much <laughs> on those you know i'm still still hanging out on twitter making inappropriate tweets you know so <laughs> so uh uh it's not strictly a business account i'm probably telling you how my wordle game went and what i had for dinner and <laughs> probably commenting on trump or you know various other guys but, yeah you know so and uh uh so yeah so that's that's where i'm at and uh we're almost close to five thousand streams on spotify nice but, yeah that's about 20 bucks you know i can you know who knows i can buy some coffee McDonald's dinner. yeah yeah, so, <laughs> yeah so. i'm just happy to have people listening to music so of course well, and I'm really, really happy that we got to connect because I've been listening to your music now. We sort of came across it, bumped into each other online on Twitter. Um, yes. Had a couple of little conversations back and forth. I bought the CD, really enjoyed the music. And again, I'm glad you do. Not that far away. So at some point, maybe I'll just even drive down to South Dakota sometimes. Thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed myself tremendously. Good. So, yeah. And we'll, we'll do it again sometime. Appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. You bet. Anytime.